and welcome to the What Is Possible podcast series. I'm Nazreen Bizram, your host and Head of Charities at Barclays Corporate Banking. So today in our first episode, we're going to focus on businesses' COVID-19 recovery. We'll be asking what is possible for your industry as the country and the economy start to face a new way of life. We will discuss some of the challenges, but also focus on opportunities facing key sectors such as retail, professional services and hospitality, as well as speaking to our head of sustainable finance about the lasting impact on the environment as a result of COVID-19. But just a quick note about today's recording before I introduce our guests. We normally produce our podcasts together in person, but as these are not normal times, this podcast is being recorded remotely from our homes. So I'm delighted to introduce the Barclays experts joining us for our first episode. Karen Johnson, National Head of Retail and Wholesale. Andrea DeLay, National Head of Business and Professional Services. Phil Richardson, Hospitality and Leisure Industry Director. And Marco De Benedictis, Head of Sustainable Finance. Welcome to all of you and thank you for joining us. So let's kick off. Karen, how significant has the impact of COVID-19 been for the retail sector? Thanks, Naz. There has been a substantial impact on the retail sector, but whether that's been positive or negative is actually really polarised. When lockdown restrictions started, over 70% of physical stores were closed. Essential stores only, for example, the grocers and chemists remained open, but all non-essential stores closed. This had a significant shift in terms of people's spending. Before COVID started, we had about 20% of all purchases were online. We're now at around 30%. And the view is that this trend is likely to continue. Reopening the stores and the lifting of restrictions has seen some footfall return to our physical store estate. But this has actually been mainly to our urban centres and local communities rather than city centres. This is something that the retail sector is working with the hospitality sector to adjust to. Retailers with strong e-com platforms have been really well positioned throughout this period. And the rise in online sales is something, as we said before, that is going to set to continue. Grocers have been the biggest winners, where they've seen online and overall spending increase significantly. But interestingly, household business have actually seen over 30% rise in their online sales year on year. This is working with people who are adapting their homes to working from home more and investing in their homes in the basis of spending a lot more time there. One of the uh, retailers that are or sectors that's struggling slightly more is in the clothing side. If people aren't going out, they have not been buying as many uh, replacement products. And also there's been a trend in moving towards more comfortable leisure um, wear rather than formal work attire. So, yeah, we've seen a substantial impact, um, but it's been great to see the way the retailers have chosen to adapt to this Thank you, Karen. You mentioned the sort of revival of local high streets, which has been really interesting to see, and also the rise in digital retail. How else do you think we will see changes in consumer behaviour over the long term as a result of COVID-19? Oh, Nas, the world has changed. And there were actually a lot of changes coming through in terms of consumer behaviour that we've seen before the pandemic. But we've seen all of these accelerate. With the rise of online shopping, we're really seeing a new wave of online shoppers across all demographics, both young and old. Those older demographics over 55, who perhaps weren't as attuned to online, have actually become really digitally savvy. 
And this is a behavioral change that we think is going to remain. People's lifestyles are changing. You know, people are traveling less, people are working from home more. And we're seeing a trend from that, as you mentioned, where consumers are wanting to shop more locally. But we're also seeing a shift in consumer values and expectations. Not only are consumers thinking about the products, but who they're actually buying them from, how businesses are treating their employees and suppliers, their roles in their local communities, and their sustainability credentials are becoming increasingly important and are trends that we think will remain. Really interesting you you mentioned the sustainability piece, and I think that's a good moment to um, head over to Marco now. Marco, how can retailers really use the impact of COVID-19 to accelerate their sustainability strategy? Yeah, that's a really good question, Naz. Thank you very much. And, and I guess one of the key things that we'd be thinking about really is, is how, um, and the very fashionable thoughts that we're seeing at the moment is around sustainable supply chains, which I think we, we really break into two separate parts. One is the effect that it has on client activity. So what we can talk about is the idea of circularity or circular economy. So that is really trying to reduce the amount of single use products that we have for consumers that are made from finite resources. And then what we can see is we can see the change of mindset into more of a refill, repair culture, adding longevity to, to products. And, and I think also the example in the retail space that I think this could be really great for in particular the high street is the the potential increase in not just brand loyalty but also the increased footfall that we would see going back into stores there is also the effect on this on the supply chain there's also the effect on the suppliers themselves and as karen previously referenced um all, all larger companies are taking a deeper look into where they're buying their supplies where they're buying their products so that they are looking at their clients and their understanding uh, that they have needs but then they're also looking backwards into their supply chain as well now the final stage of looking at this supply chain is how can they potentially tweak terms that they have with said suppliers to construct more sustainable behaviors to drive revenue news on the front end so like I, I try and take this to life with it with an with, with somewhat of an extreme view so if, if we have a, a look at materials or inventory that is being bought that could be highly commoditized we can actually see that preference will be given to more sustainable companies or actually worse still it could be used as a hygiene factor to fully exclude businesses that do not have this same sustainability credentials Really interesting insights, uh, Marco, and I, I look forward to continuing that discussion uh, later on. And also, thank you, Karen. Really interesting to, to see how the retail sector is beginning to sort of reshape and look to the future. So looking at hospitality, which is another sector that's been particularly hard hit by COVID-19, Phil, both in the initial lockdown phase and also with the requirements for social distancing, since some hospitality firms have been able to reopen, have you seen a good recovery for clients? A good question, Naz. So to be frank, the pace of recovery has been a bit of a mixed bag, although consumer confidence and therefore spending has, or should I say was, warming up alongside the weather. Uh, the restaurant sector, which was under severe pressure pre-COVID, has been decimated by the lockdown. And consensus amongst those operators was that July the 4th, aka Super Saturday, felt more like a soft launch with business being described as okay but not brisk. Pubs have proven to be more resilient and whilst all of our other subsectors have been affected in some way, shape or form, the travel industry has been hit particularly hard. For some of those sectors on life support, the response from the government has been game-changing 
Others, unfortunately, have been left to fend for themselves. The Eat Out to Help Out scheme in particular has been phenomenally successful. And I think that that has helped consumers get their mojo back. It has encouraged people to get back into the habit of socialising, which is vitally important to the recovery plan. According to the government, diners had used the subsidy more than 10.5 billion times in the first week, which is unprecedented. But spare a thought for the losers, the pure takeaway operators are unable to access the scheme or the fine dining restaurants for whom £10 off is helpful, but unlikely to have a significant impact. Central London and most city centres are still like ghost towns as the likes of you and I continue to work from home and restrictions on travel have massively affected the number of visitors from overseas. Believe it or not, travel on London's underground is down to 25% of pre-COVID levels. And just to think in the 30 years I've been commuting, I was never able to get a seat. Regional operators continue to perform better across our sectors backed by the communities they are located in or the willingness for us to spend our holidays near a home, buoyed by a combination of warm weather and improving standards of accommodation. So whilst I remain cautiously optimistic, it feels like we're in a bit of a bubble right now. In short, the road to recovery is going to be long, although to use a hackneyed phrase, we are starting to see those green shoots. Thanks very much, Phil. And you refer to the Eat Out to Help Out scheme. I was definitely one of those 10 and a half million diners who uh, took advantage of the scheme. Obviously, challenges all around. And you've talked about many different challenges that the, the sector faces. But what opportunities do you see in the medium term for those businesses with the resources to adapt? Again, a very good question. Uh, quite frankly, this is an upbeat industry and it doesn't pay to be too negative. However, there is something of a cliff edge out there at present. The furlough scheme, 5% VAT and zero business rates will all finish at some point in the coming month. And as we touched on, some of those could be extended and any extension could be funded by operators if the Chancellor bulks at the cost. But that might be something that not all operators are able to do. So there is a greater chance that some strongly positioned operators will take market share and squeeze out marginal operators. Interestingly, safety is now the number one priority. Value for money, once the most important factor, has fallen down the list and now ranks behind sustainability and convenience, which supports some of the comments that Marco was making earlier. However, all of this adds to the cost base. And when you combine that with the additional costs incurred by operators who are having to move ahead with initiatives such as the introduction of cashless venues and order and pay technology faster than planned, then if the business isn't well capitalised, it may well struggle to survive. Rent is another battlefield and that needs to be significant rebalancing of the relationship between rent and turnover between landlords and tenants. On the flip side, capacity is reducing and there is a lot of pent-up demand in evidence, but consumer confidence remains fragile for some. For example, 25% of loyal cinema goers are reluctant to return until a vaccine is established. Those operators that pivoted their business online are looking to continue with home delivery. Others have launched DIY kits or food ranges, whilst others have become the community hubs that we all thought they could and should be by selling day-to-day -day necessities. In travel, we've seen outbound operators beginning to cover the staycation market. All of this creates diversified income streams, making businesses more viable. That said, fear of a second wave 
and short-term government intervention such as local lockdown is difficult to plan for. However, there is optimism in the market. And let's not forget that the pre-COVID characteristics that were helpful, strong balance sheet, good management, robust and sustainable cash flows and a differentiated product remain as important today as they were then. So in summary, I've absolutely no doubt that the full cycle will return. There's no substitute for the leisure experience. However, it will take time and we're certainly not out of the woods yet. And a final thought from me for those looking to book a holiday in the UK in 2021. My advice would be book now. Thank you very much uh, for that advice, Phil. And as soon as we finish up here, I'll be straight on to the internet booking my uh, staycation for 2021. Obviously, huge changes in how we spend our leisure time, but also to the way we work as a result of COVID-19. Andrea, how have you found working from home? Yeah, hi, Naz. I've got to be honest, it it was a challenge at first. Um, I was very conscious that work was very busy. Um, Our clients needed us. I was um, conscious that our team, my team, were um, all, you know, addressing their own work-life balance challenges. Um, for me, myself, I have a 12-year-old son who was homeschooling. Um, and I'd say I felt a bit isolated at first, um, certainly for the first couple of weeks. After that, I got into a bit of routine. And now I actually quite enjoy it, really. So um, I've, I've adjusted to it. Brilliant. Thanks, Andrea. I, I totally hear you on the homeschooling bit. Uh, I have a 12-year-old too, so I really do value teachers uh, now and, and what they do. So thinking about homeworking revolution and, and the end of the office is what we're hearing. What are your clients saying about the return to the office? Yes, it is certainly a topic of discussion, um, both at Barclays and with our clients. For the professional services firms, working from home has worked really well. Uh, The law firms and accountancy firms, for example, did work more remotely uh, to a degree anyway, but they were definitely uh, quick to organise themselves at the start of COVID. So, you know, for them, working from home has been really effective. I I think the return to work will be protracted and absolutely, I think we will see an increase on a permanent basis um, with more, you know, remote working going forwards. I think all firms really are reviewing the need for office space to various degrees and, you know, how much will they need? How can they best use the space? I think there are real opportunities for recruitment and retention, as well as with flexible working. And, you know, apart from the obvious cost savings with office space, I think there's a real opportunity for innovation, um, you know, in the work environment and that employers should be should be considering that. Yes, brilliant. I totally agree around the recruitment, retention, flexibility. And I think that also will contribute to our clients' diversity agendas as well. But one of the things that I think all sectors have been tackling with or is the whole well-being piece and employee well-being. What are your clients saying about well-being and how are they addressing this? Yeah, I mean, it was on the agenda um, of our clients before. It's now definitely at the top of the agenda. I think all leaders now have this very much at the front of mind. And and to me, it's just a case of leaning in and talking to the team and, uh, you know, checking on individual circumstances. Uh, There are many people um, within our client base that are juggling uh, with childcare or caring for elderly people. So it's definitely become a top of the agenda item now. Thanks, Andrea. Um, You briefly discussed the demand for commercial real estate. So thinking about that demand, has COVID-19 had a notable impact on any of the business types that you work with? 
So we've seen the freezing of the housing market and then a subsequent rush on reopening must have meant some of the law firms moved from sort of famine to feast in the recent weeks. Yes, I mean, overall, with business and professional services clients, I'd say they've all faced challenges and opportunities to different degrees. So you mentioned the the law firms, Naz. I mean, for example, in the legal sector, M&A, property transactions and corporate deals have all uh, all really slowed down, but areas like employment law and litigation have increased. Any business with the public sector work um, income stream has, has seen an uptick there. I think, unfortunately, the insolvency market is very busy. That's good news for some of the law and accountancy firms um, in their practice areas. But I think, you know, we, we expect certainly to see more of that. Generally, firms with diverse business areas are just better placed to cope um, in situations like this. And I think we'll, we, you know, we're clearly in a very challenging environment, but there will undoubtedly be um, opportunities, I think, as we grow um, in a more digital and diverse world. Brilliant. Thank you, Andrew. Really, really interesting insights. And thank you for sharing those. So let's look beyond the individual sectors, I guess, now. So, Marco, 2020 was supposed to be the year the UK hosted COP26, which has been delayed by a year due to the pandemic. We've also seen commitments from the government and from the EU towards a greener, more sustainable recovery. Do you think the recovery from the pandemic will have a lasting impact for environmental sustainability and, and in what ways? Yeah, thanks, Naz. I mean, we we truly are now at an inflection point. And, and I think there are a number of structures that I'd like to identify that will really help us change now and make a, a lasting difference. So uh, I think probably in the UK, focus so as part of the budget, in the summer statement, a couple of things to mention, the two billion green homes grant, the one billion sterling to improve the efficiency of public sector buildings. Um, that along with COP26, which is now next year, as you say, uh, where we have one of Alok Sharma's, one of his five working groups specifically focusing on the green recovery. And, and that is really like driving out the focus on the real economic opportunities that can come out of this. But it is true um, as well with Europe, they are really leading the way here. The next generation EU fund, which is a 750 billion euro fund designed to help countries recover from the recession, that has 390 billion of it coming in the way of grants specifically uh, with prioritization given to uh, green projects of others. So I think that, you know, when we look at this as market uh, observers are really saying that, that we really need the whole sustainability value chain to, to, to work. So all players really must be aligned and working towards the same goals and same agenda. And, and I think, you know, one thing that we see more and more is this intersection between public and private money as well as academia and finance. And, and as you mentioned, 2020 was meant to be the year of COP26, the year of green financing. But post the outbreak of COVID-19, we're also seeing much more of a focus on sustainability financing. So, so that really means the not just the environmental targets that we're adding into um, facility documentation or into projects, but also it's the social and governance benefits too, which together bring all three parts of the ESG equation and and i guess through the through the pandemic we see a, a much more resilient performance in esg indexes versus their non esg comparables and if we review these as a unique asset class um we can really see esg amongst the investor community as, as really building a reputation for itself as being very much more robust so 
point being with there is if we overlay the cash flows then we see into ESG ETFs, for example, uh, which we've seen double um, as of July in, in, in the last 12 months, the outlook for 2020 in the ESG, the broader ESG market is expectations that this could get up to 45 trillion of assets under management. So I think as we, we put all of these thoughts together, we can really, really see that the signs are all there, that this is definitely the right time to focus on sustainability uh, credentials and corporate sustainability agendas. Thank you very much, Marco. It's good to see, despite you know all the different challenges we've seen across the sectors we've discussed today, I think sustainability is kind of the shining light and the real opportunity that we have um, in terms of acceleration and, and progression. So I think that kind of draws our discussion to a close. You know, thank you to all our guests today. It's been really interesting to hear about all the challenges and opportunities that the sectors face as we move into recovery and consider what is possible as we start to rebuild. So thank you for joining us. If there are any areas we discussed today that you'd like more information on, please do contact your relationship director in the first instance, or please visit our website for more insights.